church. Everybody else, I'm going to ask you to take a note. So if you can grab something to write with and maybe uh, look at the back of your bulletin, I'm going to ask you to write something down <clears throat> before we pray. And oftentimes we will give an application um, at the end. We'll do that today. And I'm even going to suggest some things that might be the next step for you. But what I would like for you to write down and then keep this in mind as we go throughout uh, our text today is I'd like you to write this down. The next step for, and then put your name in there. So the next step for Jeremy is, and then leave it blank. Don't write Jeremy, write your own name. But write the next step for, and then put your name in there. And then say is blank. And there might be more than one opportunity for you to grow in your walk today, but there might be one thing that jumps out. And then I challenge us oftentimes at the end to pray about something that God uh, might have spoken to us about, might be doing in our hearts. And so I'm going to ask you, before we get started, to be very intentional to look for something that God might speak to you about as we look at the teaching of Jesus Christ again today in the Sermon on the Mount. Would you bow with me one more time and we'll pray? Heavenly Father, would you please allow us to shut out anything that would distract us from your word at this point? We do thank you that you not only have given us the information that talks about grace and about forgiveness of sins, about the cross of Christ and how we can have eternal life in the Bible, but you've given us instruction for how to live from day to day from year to year. We would ask that this time here we'd be very intentional about joining together to learn from God's word so that it can change our lives as we are out in the places that we go to. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, there have been some of these recent applications that have been easier than others. There have been some that you've seen and you've thought, oh, that might be a challenging message for me. And this one here is a little bit tricky from the start. I've been spending some extra time studying and trying to find good application uh, for this because there are a couple things in this text that are really setting the bar very, very high. As we look at Jesus' teaching, and now he's at the sixth, the last one of these practical applications that he gives, He talks about how the current religious leaders had messed up the law of Moses, and now he's on the last one. And just to jump ahead a little bit, in the very end, Jesus says, be perfect for your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm going to let you know that right now because I don't want anybody saying, well, this one isn't for me because that's not me. I'm not perfect. In fact, I'm so far away from what I want to be. And I trust you'll be encouraged as we look specifically at what Jesus meant when he said that. But then there's one specific message that is coming through, and it's the idea of loving and doing good and praying for those who are your enemies. Now, we need to set something straight right away. Most of you would say, well, I don't have any enemies, right? 
Nobody would, nobody would say, well, I've got some enemies. There's a few, you know. I, I used to work for FedEx, and when the management would get together, we had a little expression, beat brown is what we'd say. The enemy of FedEx was UPS, and we wanted to beat brown all the time. They weren't the enemy, but even today, my kids, you know, will say boo sometimes when they'll see a UPS truck. Who's your enemy? And most of you say, I'm off the hook. I ain't got no enemies. I'm all right. And yet I think that this is not a teaching that is wasted on you if you would say today, I don't have any enemies. It's not wasted on you. And so you might need to dig deep. You might need to ask, who is it that opposes me regularly? You might need to ask this, who is it that when I'm in the grocery store and I see an individual down the aisle that I've had a falling out with, I kind of duck and go to the next aisle over because I don't even want to talk to them. I don't want, I'm not saying if you're in a hurry and you can't have a conversation. I'm saying you've had a falling out with somebody and you don't even want to speak peaceably to them. You're just going to continue for the rest of your life without having that kind of connection. Jesus Christ gives a very, very challenging uh, teaching here when he goes up against the false teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. When he not only says, I want you to get along with your enemies, we need to have some kind of civil order in this area. It's not only that. Jesus goes further than that. Some of you wrote down a little bit ago, the next step for Jeremy is... And then you left a blank. Let me give some suggestions. Some are hard. Some might be just a, a foundation of, in the foundation area of Christianity. One application that you might walk away with today is you might be challenged to remind yourself regularly, maybe every other day or so, be intentional about reminding yourself of how you have received mercy from God that you do not deserve to go to heaven, you do not deserve forgiveness, you do not deserve the blessings that God has given you. So perhaps an application today is you're going to remind yourself of how much you have been forgiven, that you at one point were an enemy of God and he sought you out as his enemy and paid the price. Jesus Christ gave his blood gave his life and took on the sins of the world. Maybe another application today would be you'll start a prayer life. We need to be praying without ceasing and many of you are good at that. I would challenge you to that when you see somebody or see something that reminds you of somebody, pray for them. When you drive by somebody's home or place of business or you see the kind of car they drive, pray for them. Jesus Christ is going to say, I want you to pray for your enemies. And there are many Christians that don't even pray for their family. Perhaps the next step for you today is going to be that you will start being a person of prayer, which you need in your life and we need in our church fellowship. And then maybe you're going to take a high step today. The next step for Jeremy is maybe you want to be responsible for taking the drastic measures, doing something that would bring an enemy into a place of forgiveness of God. 
That's huge. It's drastic. When the audience that Jesus was speaking to would observe the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't see anything special about them. Yeah, they had some fancy clothes and they had a higher seat in the temple maybe. But there was nothing about them that resonated with everyone else. Most folks could spot a hypocrite. And there were many hypocrites in the religious leadership. Jesus Christ, this is that high step that I would love for some of you to take today. Jesus Christ is going to say, here is what you need. Here is who you need to show love to. Here is who you need to pray for. And in the end, quite possibly, they could come to the same place as you, receiving forgiveness. And so, if you're going to take that high step, you have to say, do I really want them to have forgiveness? Is this a hard message? Do I really want them to be forgiven? You would never say out loud, I want them to go to hell, or maybe some of you would have said go to hell to them. The place where God has you, what you have access to, every one of us has access to, that can bring someone else alongside us into the kingdom. And not that we have to tolerate them here in this time in this world, but that we can be brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. What we're going to see in God's word today is that the child of God is supposed to resist the natural impulse of getting revenge, of fighting back, of hating those who stand in opposition to us. And Christ pushes further where he says we are to pray for them and to show them the kind of love that, here it is, God showed you. So if you're reaching for that high step today, I hope you, hope you write that down. hope you pray for that. Now, all that to bring us to our text, Matthew chapter 5. If you're not already there, please turn to Matthew 5. We're going to be there. We're also going to be in the book of Luke for a short time. And in Matthew chapter 5, those teachings, those five previous ones that Jesus has touched on were anger, lust, divorce, taking oaths falsely, and retaliation. And now we come to the last one. We're going to read verses 43 and 44, and we'll just take this one verse at a time or two verses at a time, starting in verse 43 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, when Jesus Christ was teaching through, he always talked about something that the religious leaders were teaching. And typically, they had taken the law of Moses, which was huge for them, of course, in their day, and they had twisted it in some way. And now we come across where Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And yet if you're familiar with the law of Moses, you will never find anywhere in there where God commanded people to hate their enemy. You can study through it. You can look, but you will not find where God said you are to hate your enemy. Now, when we find this idea of love your neighbor, that's not only in one or two places in the law, 
But loving your neighbor is a central theme throughout the word of God. But what about hating your enemies? Where do we get that from? Well, I think as we look into God's word and we see the idea of individuals that we face that are different than us, many here would say still, I don't have any enemies. But who might the Jews say were the enemy? If you would, hold your place in Matthew 5 and turn over to Luke chapter 10. Turn to Luke chapter 10. And as you're turning there, let me just give you one verse from the law that Jesus was speaking of when he said, love your neighbor. Jesus says in Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So where do we find this idea of hating your enemy? And as I mentioned earlier, it's nowhere in God's word. But what Jesus is doing is he's taking taking the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees and they're taking this one word, neighbor, and they're wanting to define that to meet their own needs. Who is my neighbor? Well, the religious leaders in Jesus' day would teach that their neighbor was a Jew. And therefore, if someone was not a Jew, then they were a enemy. So this is how they got there. And Jesus Christ is not saying that Moses ever said, hate your enemy. He is saying, these guys have totally messed this up. Now, they were always trying to trip Jesus up, right? They would ask him questions. They, and they were smart. Don't think that the religious leaders didn't have other individuals that tried to come and have some kind of an uprising. They had been around the block a few times. They knew how to take somebody down a notch. They knew how to catch them. And we find an example of that in Luke chapter 10, where someone is seeking to trip Jesus up. And it comes down to this idea of a neighbor. And so the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus is going to talk about here in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read the entire story of the Good Samaritan, starting in verse number 25 and going down through 37 of Luke 10, where it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. There it is. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, 
he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay And when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So Jesus Christ makes the Samaritan, the one who was not a Jew, the hero. And they hated this. In fact, they hated Gentiles so much that the Jews had an expression for Gentiles. They have said that God made Gentiles to be fodder to keep the fires of hell burning. That was how they approached Gentiles. And Gentiles knew this. In fact, there was a name that they would tag onto the end of the word Gentile. They would call them Gentile dogs oftentimes. And for you dog lovers, this is not an expression of affection. Gentile dogs was a major put down. And so when Jesus Christ takes the Samaritan and makes him the hero of the story, they hated this. And not only does Jesus Christ say, you need to have anyone who opposes you be on the receiving end of your good, but you're going to take it a step further. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. We'll see what Jesus does. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is going to say that they are to love and pray for their enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I'm excited about this. Some of you oftentimes will come uh, to a, a lesson in God's Word like today and you will jump off and study this out in detail. People that are persecuting me, I'm supposed to bless them? I'm supposed to pray for them? Oh, I know. I've seen it in Psalms where David prayed for those who opposed God. David's prayer went something like, Oh God, break their teeth. I hate them who hate you. I can get behind that kind of praying for my enemy, right? No. You need to study that through. See exactly what God meant as that was recorded in God's word. The best commentary on the Bible is the what? The Bible. We study it through. If you're confused about something, if it seems like something is conflicting with something else, get in there. Get busy. Study it through. Ask the questions and do your job. But there is no text that we can find that gives us permission to hate anyone. In fact, Jesus Christ goes so far here to say, not only should we not hate them, but we need to pray for them and we need to love them if, you were here, if you've been here for this entire uh, series, talking through these six teachings, can you remember specifically the area where Jesus Christ is going for? He's not necessarily going for just the outward, and he's not just going for the mind, but Jesus is trying to affect the heart. And that's what he is doing here. Because as humans, and I do this, and you do this, we tend to love And we tend to pray for people who love us and pray for us. 
Or at least don't oppose us. Maybe people who like the same things that we like. Maybe they root for the same team that we root for. I can get on board with that person because we're on the same page. Jesus understands this about human nature. And you need to pray for your family. And you need to love your loved ones. Grandparents, do I have to command you to love your grandchildren? Is that something that's a stretch for you people? No. Parents, do I have to command you to love your children? No. And Christ is going to go so far in just a moment to say, don't even the lowest people in the world do that? So it's kind of like, congratulations, you're getting on board with the lowest people in the world. You guys are, you know, I guess you're doing something positive. Christ is going to say, the next step for you might need to be this. Some of you would recoil at that. Loving someone who loves you does not stretch you one bit. And there is an example for us in the love of God that he has showed to us. God's love is based on seeing individuals that are in need and then meeting their need. This is the kind of love we are commanded to show. Don't rush past that. You have been commanded to do this. So I'm not sure where you're at with your spiritual maturity. This is a big step, I understand. But to him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And Jesus Christ is speaking right to me here. Who is it that opposes me? I am to love them. So God's love that he's speaking of is not a warm, fuzzy feeling, but instead it is an action that will do what is, don't miss this, If you're taking notes, you might want to write it down. Where we will do what is in the best interest of the person in question. So who is this one that would oppose us? That would be our, quote, enemy, unquote. We are to do what is in the best interest of them. You and I need to treat our enemy as if one day he will be our Friend, Listen, you and I need to treat our enemy as if one day he will be our friend. I was listening to one Christian speaker talk not too long ago, and he was talking about atheists. And he said, I just view every atheist as a future Christian. That's how I view them. That's brilliant. Isn't that beautiful? Because you haven't always been a follower of Jesus Christ. And so view them as ones that can be on the receiving end of God's Forgiveness. And I have a couple examples that I'm going to give today that hopefully will make this more colorful. Back in the days of George Washington and the American Revolution, there was a pastor named Peter Miller. Peter Miller was very effective in his hometown in Pennsylvania. And Peter Miller was wonderfully uh, seeing good things happen in what would be his country very soon as America was developing. But in that pastor, in Pastor Miller's hometown, there was a gentleman who opposed him. Every step that seemed like Miller would take, there was a man named Michael Whitman who opposed him. He seemed to hate this man. He seemed to hate his church. He seemed to hate any direction that Miller would go. And Michael Whitman's efforts were vast, and they were very, very hurtful. And so when we see these two, it's fair to say 
that they were enemies. Well, Whitman not only opposed Pastor Peter Miller, but he also opposed what George Washington was trying to do with freeing America. And Whitman was caught committing treason. He was caught committing treason, and he was taken to stand before George Washington. And as he stood there, the sentence was death. Upon hearing this death sentence that Whitman received, the pastor traveled 70 miles by foot to go and stand before Washington. Now, what I have not told you is that Peter Miller and George Washington knew each other, and they were friends. And so, when this gentleman from Peter Miller's town was sentenced to death, we see that Peter Miller travels, and Washington is not surprised that he makes this trip to plea for his, what he thought was his friend's life. Washington, being a man of character, trying to do the right thing, says, I'm sorry, but I cannot allow your friend to go free. He has to die for treason. My friend, Miller said, I do not have any greater enemy than this man. He opposes me more than anybody else. And upon seeing this Christian who would travel to beg for the life of his enemy, Washington would examine it in a different light. He says, that is different. Why in the world would you travel here for this? And as he looked at that, we see that Washington said, I will grant his freedom. Peter Miller, Michael Whitman, he was at the shadow of execution Peter Miller comes and testifies on his behalf and now they walk back home, these men who were once enemies and now they are friends. We need to treat our enemies as if one day they will become our friends. Because as Jesus said, don't the lowest people of character do these other things? I'm not telling you to neglect your family. I'm not telling you not to pray for those that you love. Don't do any of that, but everybody does that. But to understand this level, to take this next step. And what it is, is it's understanding what God has done for us. In a sister passage, Luke chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Don't misunderstand. Jesus is not saying to wink at their sin. Christ does not want us to ignore their wickedness, not at all. It's not being dishonest, but instead what it means is is you're finding a positive way to speak about those who oppose you. I was talking with a friend not too long ago, and unfortunately, we went downhill in the conversation. We were talking about a gentleman that neither one of us had a lot of admiration for. That's a generous way of saying it, right? And as we were talking... I noticed we were saying negative things. And I've had a habit over the years, and I just interrupted and I said, wait a minute, for every one negative thing that you say, we've got to say three positive things. And real quick, he shot back with three positive things. But it wasn't because he liked the guy so much, it was because he wanted to go on saying some negative things. We need to not speak ill, even of our enemy. Jesus goes even further and he says, you need to pray for those who persecute you. That's what's next here in Matthew chapter five. 
Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus has instructed us to go on to God the Father on behalf of those. Are you able to see the big picture? We just had that example of someone going on behalf of his enemy. Can you see the big picture? What God might be doing. We pray for God not to break their teeth, not to put them in the hospital, not even necessarily to remove the thorn from our own flesh, as we talked about last week. But we pray for God to invade their life, to change them. We do not pray ill for them. Because, listen, you have no idea what God might do with them once he changes their heart. And what is the formula that God has given to change the hearts of men and women? Who is it that tells them they need forgiveness? It's brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're great friends with someone, they might not be surprised if you tell them you need to repent of your sins and ask God to forgive you. They might not be shocked at all if you tell them you need to be in church and there's a big purpose in life. But if there's someone that opposes you at every turn, maybe this will resonate. If there's someone who has inflicted more pain upon you than anyone else in the world, then how do you think they're going to respond when you invite them to experience the love of Jesus Christ? They're going to think it's a trick at first, right? It's a trick, it's a trap. I'm not going in that room. What are they going to do in there? And when they see that they are genuinely loved by not only God, but by you, this might be the step they need to turn to forgiveness. Because you see, God understands something about us praying for our enemies. Much of the time, when we, as Jesus commands us here, much of the time when we pray for our enemies, it will change them. I've experienced this. I've seen it. I can remember praying for someone who opposed me so much and I watched God change them and it was beautiful. Not every time, but much of the time when we pray for our enemies, it will change them. But listen to me. 100% of the time when we pray with love for our enemies, it will change us. Not a reluctant obedience. I'm praying on the outside, but I'm cursing him on the inside. Not that. But when you genuinely want them to experience the forgiveness that you have been, that you have experienced, that's when God will change you. And that is beautiful. And then every once in a while, God will change them. And I hope you get to see this. This morning, someone came to me and they said, you're preaching on loving your enemies today. And she said, you talked about that years ago. You challenged me years ago to love my enemies. You challenged years ago for us to pray for our enemies. And this woman has someone in her life that she viewed as an enemy, that opposed her, that had caused hurt and pain. And she shared with me, she started to pray for her enemy. I'm not sure how it started. I'm not sure how it looked. But I can tell you this. She said, soon after I started praying for him, someone paid a visit to him 
and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on his deathbed, he asked Jesus to forgive him and he got saved. This is the big step, brothers and sisters. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to be able to pray for those who the world sees as an enemy so that they can become forgiven just like you. And this woman who prayed for that one who opposed her for so many years, guess what she's going to be doing for all eternity? They're going to be pals in heaven. Do we see some wisdom in what Jesus is teaching here? Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Is it worth it? I hope somebody else comes to me next week and tells me another story. I started praying for someone who I counted as an enemy and they came to Jesus Christ. How beautiful this teaching of Jesus is. Let's go ahead and look back in Matthew chapter five and let's go ahead and finish up here these last few verses. Let's read verse 45. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and unjust. And so he is not saying do these things so that you can become a child of God. He's saying do these things because you're a child of God. You have experienced incredible love and you cannot keep it to yourself. And you and I reflect our Father when we have not only experienced His love, but when we show it to someone who does not deserve it. Even the lowest of the low show that love to people that deserve it and they like. But you are becoming Christ-like when you forgive and when you do not express hatred, and when you pray good for and pray God's love for those who have offended you. Here's what it shows. It's keeping you in check. If you're a Christian today, you've come to the place where you realize that you had sinned, the punishment for that sin was eternal life in a place called hell, separation from God, but you heard about Jesus' death on a cross to pay for your sins and that if you would only ask him for forgiveness, he would adopt you into his family. If that is you, it's my experience that we love this, we talk about this, but sometimes in the day-to-day of our life, we forget to act it out. God wants us to be reminded of our forgiveness. That's why Jesus said, I want you to come together on a regular basis and observe communion, the Lord's Supper. We will do that next Sunday. We will look at the juice that represents the shed blood of Christ and that bread that represents the broken body of Christ. And it's not just thinking about Jesus, but it's thinking about me, once an enemy, but now I'm seated at his table as one of his sons. We remind ourselves that we don't deserve it, and that's how you can get motivated to pray love for someone else. And we're trusting God here. We're trusting that the God of all the earth will do what is right. He will hold the wicked accountable. But do not miss this. He will also hold you accountable for this teaching that he has given. And then let's read through the rest of the passage, starting in verse number 46, where it says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Here in verse 48, he's speaking of spiritual maturity. He's talking about taking that next step. God wants me, Jeremy Lazell, to what? What's the next step? Here he is saying he wants you to pray for your enemies and to love them. We just celebrated a couple years ago the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It's horrible how many people have been killed in the name of God. Some people thought they were doing God's will by killing others. Back during the Reformation, when it had begun and there were tens of thousands of people that were being killed, there's a story that survived 500 years about one individual who had been sentenced to death. He had believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for his sins, that the word of God was for him that day, and that the church was opposing people. The church that he grew up in was opposing people. And now, since he stood up against those religious leaders, he was sentenced to die. And he escaped. He got away. He went on the run and he was doing very well as he was running he went into the woods it was the dead of winter and as he traveled the story goes there was just one pursuer left one that was able to keep up with him a soldier that was going to catch him and take him back to his death and as this follower of Christ was running through the woods he was doing well and feeling good and then he came across a body of water that was partially frozen And he had to make a decision. What's he going to do? And to save his own life, he decided to trust that the thin ice would hold him and he darted across that ice. And he went and the story goes, he could hear the cracking of the ice the entire way across and he saw the end in sight and he made it just to the other side. And with a wonderful relief and probably a prayer to God, he said, thank you God for saving me and then continued to go And it wasn't but a few moments that he heard the screams. The screams of his pursuer who was coming to take him back to his death. And the Christian turned around. And because he was constrained by the love of Jesus Christ, he went back and he saved his pursuer at the risk of being captured at the risk of him being taken to his death. And when he was asked why later on, he said this, I had no other choice but to obey Jesus. I had no choice. He had learned what Jesus is teaching here. When we love our enemies, God can do something amazing. Maybe that's the next step for you. What can we do with this? Three things real quick. Number one, what can you do? Spend time praying for those you struggle with. There might be a first part to that. Spend time praying. Some of you just don't pray. Spend time praying. God always has your ear. Spend time praying for those that you love and also those that you don't love naturally. Spend time praying for them that God's love would change them. 
Number two, trust the Father as you refrain from hate. This is a huge step of trusting God, that the God of all the earth will do what's right. That means with them, even if they practice evil, and it means with you, whether you're being obedient to Christ's command. And then last, regularly remind yourself of your former position as an enemy. No one was born a Christian. If you've got Christian parents, that doesn't make you a Christian. I love the old expression, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You get that? Everyone has to come on their own and make God their heavenly father. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You have to ask him for yourself for forgiveness. Be reminded, whether it be through the singing, through communion, through your personal study, be reminded of what you have been forgiven of. And then when you come to that point, and I promise you it's going to come, where you can't stand somebody, you will say, I had no choice but to love them. Just because you're so good at it? No Because you're saying, I will obey, even if I do not understand, I will obey. Praise God, he allows some of us to see the converts, to see the change, to see the fruit. This is the high step of maturity that Christ is pointing us to. But even if you don't, we still obey. Even if we scratch our head and it goes against everything that's our impulse within, we still obey obey. You see, Jesus Christ points to this crowd, and he's in the beginning of his teaching right now with the Sermon on the Mount, but the best example of the one who would not retaliate when he was being done wrong. Have you heard the old song, he could have called 10,000 angels when he was there on the cross? And what did Jesus do? What did he say? Do you remember what he said to those who were persecuting him and hurting him? Forgive them. for They know not what they do. We live surrounded by people who are not able to see God. And he has put a light within you. And you might say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let me express to them what I've been forgiven of. And let me show them love and forgiveness. This is where Christ is pointing us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, can we just take a moment, just a moment, for us to go back to a point or a season of life where we realize that you have saved us, that patience and love that you showed to us, Let each of us who's experienced the forgiveness of our sins take a moment to pray for that and praise you for amazing grace even right now. And I have to suspect, Father, there are people here like me that have been shown patience and love by others that knew you, a love that I did not deserve, and yet one that they chose to show because of obedience. And I thank you that it's not only just because of your incredible love, but you have used people to seek me out, to show me love, so that I can be here in this world 
and Lord willing not to run in vain. God, we've given several opportunities for steps of maturity from this lesson today. Some of them are very, very high steps, very difficult steps. Some would say, I'm not quite ready for that. But there are some who would be open. God, I am open to praying for my enemy. I am open to praying for the one that I cannot stand, that opposes me. Maybe that's the step today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, maybe you're here today and you have never come to Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness of your sins, decided to become his child. God offers forgiveness. And even during this moment, you can say, God, I am a sinner and I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Will you forgive me of my sins and make me your child? That is available. And if you've never done that, do that even right in this moment. For others, why don't you do some business with God? Whatever God's laid on your heart, this is a perfect time to pray about it. Heavenly Father, would you guide us? Remind us of who we are. Not only that we were undeserving, but now we are co-heirs with Christ. We praise you for forgiveness. Help us to use the years that we have in this world for you. Allow us to see it, Father. Give us that wind in our sails as we are obedient. I thank you that I can speak of examples from a couple hundred years ago and even 500 years ago of people who were obedient. Lord, would you allow us to see right here in our own fellowship forgiveness, love, and prayer for enemies. We thank you that we're not alone in this and you will help. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.